With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seria Chronicles is a Maya Chronicles production. <laughs> And welcome to the Seria Chronicles Q&A episode. I've been talking about how I really feel like a cigarette and I don't even smoke because I've had so many feelings about so many things that make me so angry. I think I'm just an overly passionate person. Um, it's a good thing I work in football and not politics. God only knows what would have done. But uh, hello, Nikki. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Your passion for Life, Mina, is what makes you so much fun to work with and so much fun to listen to, even when I'm not working with you. So don't Aww. don't let the world stop you, Mina. Don't let anyone <laughs> stop you from being as enthusiastic. I, I need point, it. I need to inject it into my veins weekly. That's what keeps me going. Oh, check you out. And this woman, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm like the bully that everyone talks about as to why they, they couldn't grow into the person they wanted to be. <laughs> no, the opposite. Oh, at least I have you, Nikki. Okay, should we uh, answer some of the questions? What do you think? Oh, there's that really brilliant one that we had from Noel last week. But we realised we couldn't do one podcast because it would take us <laughs> two hours. I mean, we're just going back and forth as to like, wait, but like, are we going to like look for players that they should buy or not? And you're like, this is getting out of hand. So we only did Milan. Let me read the question so mm-hmm. you guys know what we're talking about. So Noel, who is a Chronicles Tifosi uh, Patreon member, said, when looking at Milan, Inter and Juventus, Note, dear listener, that he didn't mention Napoli um, or Atalanta or Roma or Lazio, so he clearly knows who the big three are. Which players on each team would you keep in their starting 11 in order to seriously compete in Europe? Now, we answered Milan, so we thought we'll come back to this question for for this week and next week and choose another club. So I think this week we should answer it based on Inter. What do you think? I think Inter sounds like a good choice. Okay, you want to take it away? All right, well, should we should start it. Oh, should we do it last time? Start at the back. Yeah. In goal, 
Samir Handanovic, keep or swap Mina? I know my answer. I'm just not huge into Onana either. You know, I feel like they're both mm. pretty much the same. So if there was another player that you were like bringing in, like, I don't know, Donna Rumor, then I'd say, yeah, like definitely switch it because I don't like either co- or either goalkeeper. I think they're very good. I just don't necessarily think that for me, they're like an Allison or an Edison, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not sold in, in Onana as a long-term uh, answer at the position. I think they need to better if they aspire to get back to where they talk about getting back to you know one of the top clubs in Europe and and so I I agree with you on that um I think he makes too many blunders but I I also can't say that yes I'm happy with with Handanovic in his current form as a goalkeeper to the question is seriously compete in Europe I, I think I think I I I feel bad saying it sometimes with Handanovic because he he never got as many years playing in Europe as he was supposed to, right? Like he was for a long time, the best player on an inter team that was going through a very low period. And now that they're back in the Champions League, it's it's kind of coincided with, with the downturn for him. And I think the last couple of years, fine, he's been good enough, but I think his decline becomes more evident each season. I think even about how they exited the Champions League this time against Liverpool, He's not the primary person to blame. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, did he make a save? Did he do anything to to help them stay longer? And I feel like that all the time in big games with him. So unfortunately for me, it's um it's no, you, you can't keep Andanovich. If if your goal is, as the question says, seriously competing in Europe, I think that should be a position that Inter are looking to upgrade. Okay. But I feel better about the defense. So let's um, have a think about the, the starting defence, Mina. Centre-back pairing. Bastoni Wait, are we doing three at the back? Of the players. Yeah, okay, fair point. Why am I saying centre-back pairing? We're going to think about a back of three, aren't we? So Bastoni, De Vrij and Scrini are, are the um, obvious starters. I think I'm actually okay with all three of them. I don't need to go through them one at a time. Um, Bastoni, I, I love. I think he's going to be brilliant. Brilliant. And De Vrij and Scrini are, I think, are, I think they're good enough. I think they're good enough. I think that um, perhaps De Vrij less good this season than last season. Mm. I think that Skriniar has been on this weird trajectory where I thought he was wonderful and then Conte like just chucked him out for half a season and he came back and was wonderful again. And <laughs> probably again this season overall. I say, I say like it's weird as if that Conte doesn't do that with everybody um, or at least a lot of people. I think again, probably this season slightly less good overall than last season, but I'm okay with that back three. I don't see that back three as as being not good enough to be competitive in Europe. I think probably I would like to see a fourth player introduced into the rotation that I felt as confident in. So then you've got four players, and if you can have that fourth player be even better than them, great. But I, I feel okay with it as a back three overall, and I really, really like Bastoni. I think he's exceptional. It's not just his defending, it's it's what he gives you stepping out of defence. I think he's actually quite rare in how much he contributes to team play. And I think he's the one young Italian centre-back who I feel really good about. So, yeah, I feel okay with the back three. How about you, Mina? I thought Romagnoli was your favourite. Um, yeah, well. It's years since that's been true. Years. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I did used to feel good about Romagnoli, it's true. Did you? I didn't know that. Yeah, years ago. Years ago. <laughs> 
Well, it's certainly not Rugani, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I love Skrinia. I love Skrinia even more when he's just tasked with being a leader. Like he's just, he's so good when it matters, when the pressure's on and you're mm-hmm. focused on him. I think that he's somebody that really like loves to take charge of the situation and show you how good he is, you know? Um, do you remember Raymond Dominic, who was um, the uh, the coach of France, and he had this weird thing about I which do. players, <laughs> about which players and their star signs he'd put in his back line, and he hated Leos. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, both you and I are Leo um, because they love to show off how good they are, and that's really scary to put in a, in a centre back position. But here's the thing: I don't know if Scorny has a Leo, but he's somebody that I think loves to be like the limelight. Like if it's him in a jewel, like he's the guy that shines for me, and so I love him. Um, I do feel like, yeah, there are moments where I'm not that keen. I used to be a lot keener on De Bruyne. But De Bruyne, I realized, is better when the team overall is more defensive in its shape. When there is, like, tight lines, it sort of seems to cover it up. But if he is exposed, I think he trembles a little bit, and that worries me. He um, And I feel the same way about a lot of others, by the way, like Varane. Um, and I, I feel like what makes them good is the players they play alongside rather than... Mm. Like Bonucci, I mean, he's obviously a tremendous player, but he's better with Chiellini than he is with any other centre-back, you know? Um, And there are just some that need that partner next to them to make them shine. And I think he's somebody who needs those too. But like you said, all in all, I think it's a brilliant defence for Europe. I think it's good enough at the very highest level. So I have no issues with all three centre-backs. All right. So we're agreed. We could, we'll take that back three. And if we can have an extra as the fourth in rotation, that'd be great, I think. But yes, happy with the back sure. three. Let's do the wing backs next then, I guess. At the moment, Ivan Perisic on the left, but mm-hmm. his contract is currently set to expire in the summer. There has been fresh talk of them pushing to try to get a new deal for Perisic. So watch this space on that front. But um, of course, Robin Gersons was signed in January to be his theoretical replacement. Um, and then Denzel Dumfries, I guess, starting on the other side. You go first on these ones, Mina, because I feel like I've gone first and they've gone so far. So you go first on these ones and let's see what we think. I think Paris is just tremendous. For me, he's my favorite. Like I would make sure that I would get his contract renewed in a heartbeat. I would give him what he wants. I think that he adds so much leadership, understanding, tactical intelligence, defending. He can play in the middle. He's versatile. He can... Uh, be another striker if you need him to be he's good in close spaces he's good off the ball he's I think he's tremendous and I don't see him aging right now I mean even when you're reading about what he's saying he's saying I love to to run a lot um he engages in all types of different sports despite his age and he doesn't seem to have like this he doesn't seem to be tiring to be honest with you considering how much Mm. sport he does even when on his time off so he's clearly a guy that loves to be active. He likes to be and take center stage. He doesn't feel the pressure at all. And I think he's a value add for any youngsters you might have in your team. So for me, I would definitely keep Perisic. And I think he's, I mean, the what's, guy I want What's the sport in his time off? I, have I missed something with Perisic? Yeah, I think as he plays, well, he was talking a lot about um, that he loves running, even in his spare time with his friends, that if it's up to him, he'd always be running. And I think that it's basketball could be wrong in this but that he likes to play also in his spare time and I remember because do you remember like when we used to talk about when Marotta chose Vidal and he said I love Vidal because he's somebody who rides horses in his his spare time which means to me which tells me he always has energy but Vidal as he's has gotten older has waned in his physical aspect or maybe because it's I don't know if, if that's fair to say but 
I don't see him as being somebody that I would rely on for a full 90 minutes every game, but I do feel like I can rely on Perisic despite the age. Mm. I still think he's tremendous. And I think Gosens is, is a wonderful person to have if you're not playing Perisic or if you want to play both of them and move Perisic from further inside. So I haven't seen enough for him for me to tell you, is he brilliant against Real Madrid? I don't know, but I think he's good enough. You know, He's good enough for the German national team and that has a lot of players in his position that can do well. So I certainly like both of them. Dumfries, I'm in two minds about. <laughs> um, I think he's so good going forward. I think he's improved defensively, but he's, I think he's quite reckless at times. He's clumsy at others. I don't necessarily think, I think he acts quicker than he thinks. Mm-hmm. So it's great when, you, when you're relying on his instincts and he can bomb forward and take advantage of any um, gaps that he sees in the, in the, in the opponent and really get into that space and deliver something special. But to me, I, a lot of the time I'm also got my hand on, on my heart thinking, wait, hold on, you know, calm down. Don't get a yellow card. You know, don't, don't be too reckless. Don't be too forthcoming. Don't forget your defensive duties. And so I just feel like there's a lot of having to figure out what it is that he's going to do because I'm a little bit scared of whether or not he's just going to have one of those moments, you know? So yes, I mean, for me, ideally I would level up if I had the opportunity to and look for somebody who's better than that, than that. But when I look around on a logical, if I'm thinking about profit, about like, you know, how much of a budget they have and who there is in, in, in the world that's really good in that position from a forward and an attacking point of view, I think he's brilliant. I, I guess it's just the fact that I don't really rely on him to manage both phases of the game very well. So yeah, if you can find a replacement for that, I probably would. But I would certainly keep him within the team. I I wouldn't want him to 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 go away if that makes sense. Yeah, I I have um I think similar feelings to you on Dumfries. I you know, we were talking with um on the the last the main episode this week about Dybala and age and looks being deceiving because Denzel Dumfries is a player that in my head I think of as as young and he's not really young. He's twenty five, which is sometimes can feel like Serie A young in the sort of yeah. traditional way of Italy being a bit older, but. I think that I can weigh against that though, that like he is, this is his first season playing in with respect to the Eredivisie, like one of Europe's top leagues. And I think I can leave scope for, that is a bit disrespectful to the Eredivisie. I don't mean to make that sound like it's, but the, the, the no, standards I, I think, are, which even yeah. if, even if it's not the standards, for instance, of, of where it's been in the recent past, I think it is still a step up. And I think that, the Champions League is a step up again. And I think it's been striking to me that Dumfries has been, some of his least impressive games that I've seen from him were in the Champions League. So I think there is a step up in competition level that he's adjusting to. And I think you can say, we can give scope to see if he's if he can make that step because he's, you know, you, you do these things, you don't, when you go into a new job or a new uh, learning environment and you anything, you don't, not everyone clicks it right away. Sometimes things can take some time athletically he's he's got the tools right so yeah the question is whether or not he can he can get smart enough i i agree with you that he's much better going forward than he is going back um i think defensively at the moment he's a liability and if i was picking the team tomorrow to be competitive in europe which again is the the the, the bar we're setting i think that's a weak point right away for me so right now i have concerns maybe he can get better is is my feeling on on dumfries I agree about Perisic. I think Perisic is, I actually think if, if, if Inter let Perisic go this summer, 
unless Gosens can jump quickly to the levels he was at at Atlanta, because I love Gosens, you know, I do mean he's one of my favourite players, has been in Serie A for, for the last few seasons. But I, I would be really worried for Inter if Perisic goes at the moment, because yeah. he's been so important for them that I think you're assuming a lot if you let him go about Gerson's being able to play at that level. And I also think it's really interesting what you were saying before, to bring it back to what you're saying about him running whenever he's on free time. It just reminded me of the famous one, Javier Zanetti, whose entire like biography and like life story is just basically all about whenever he was given two minutes of free time. It's like, I thought I'd put on my running shoes and go for a run. Like in all these bizarre, ridiculous situations, like his wedding day, taking his trainers along and saying to his wife, like, can I have a run between the the wedding breakfast mm. and the reception? And like the um, mentality of that, I think it'd be really sort of, I don't know, something compelling in the idea that Perisic, of course, at Inter, you know, the club where Zanetti did play the best years of his career, where he did play on until 40 years old, it could be a nice legacy to have a similar committed wing-back and full-back as Zanetti was. So I think we're on the same page for, for players there. Right wing-back, more of a concern than, than the left. Central midfields, or the midfield three, I guess, not entirely central. Brozovic, Barella and Chalinoglu. I have, I think I'm okay with all three. I'm, I'm 100% okay with Brozovic, who I think we have banged on about plenty recently about his underratedness in that inter team. I think he's he's the the one that makes things tick. Barella, I think, still has some learning to go, but he is one of the Italian players that I want to believe in. So how can I not say that he can be on a team that um that can compete in Europe? I think he's his again, work rate, commitment, attitude, perfect. Probably still needs to get a little bit smarter, but we're not talking about the Dumfries gap here. I think he's he's already pretty close to those levels. He just needs to gain some of that big game, ex- big game experience still. Chalamoglu, I still feel a bit less convinced about, but I think he's been better than I expected for Inter this season. He scored a lot of important goals. Having him as that number 10 option, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. So that, that three I'm okay with. I think the same as the defence, I'd love there to be a really high quality alternative that I felt good about swapping in for, the, for one or two of those players. But I think I'm okay with the midfield in general. It's really weird because when I judge this, when we were talking about Milan and I was talking about Benacer and Kessier, it's almost like I have different mm. expectations of Milan than I do of Inter. So I feel like Inter is slightly ahead. So I want more for them, if that makes sense. And then if I bring in Juventus, then I would want even more because they should be ahead. So I, I don't know if I'm being fair in my judgments, but I would also keep Barella and I would certainly keep Rozovic because I think he's amazing. But yeah, Chanelovlu, I would probably get rid of if I'm honest with you. I think he's very good for Serie A. I think he's been very good for Inter, to be honest with you. I think he was tremendous in the derby. But to me, he's not going to be the guy that I think can resolve a situation against Real Madrid or a Barcelona or Liverpool. Or But he wasn't he wasn't bad either, do you know what I mean, in the Champions League? So I feel like it, it, it's a bit horrible to say this. But if, I, if well, I'm looking at... he wasn't at, bad, but he didn't score or get an assist in the whole Champions League this season, which when you think about his contribution in Serie A, has been scoring and getting assists. Like, yeah. that's been his, his thing. So, yeah. When, when, I mean, when you see teams that have, like, you know, Manchester City's midfield, and then you've got, like, Tony Crows and Modric, or you've got Berati, or you've got... I, I just feel like Sharon Longo doesn't necessarily belong in that conversation, if I'm honest with you. I think Brozovic mm-hmm. does. I even think Kovacic does, you know. Um, I, I, I feel, if anything, he's underrated, but... 
I don't know how I feel about Cholinoglu. I do think sometimes in these big pressure situations, if he doesn't get to play pretty football or when it's like a proper fight, I'm not sure whether he's the guy that I'd want to have on my team. So, and this is me being really picky with them a lot more than I probably was Milan because I do think Inter should be further along and their expectations and ambitions should be higher. So for me, he's the only one I would change. And last of all, up front then, I guess. Checo and Lautaro Martinez, I guess, would be still the, the the first 11, which is what we're supposed to be judging. I don't think that Edin Dzeko, who actually, you know, did lead Inter with three goals in the Champions League, did a pretty solid job, really. But I don't think at those six years old that he should be, to keep coming back to the question, starting for a team that wants to seriously compete in Europe. I just don't. I think you should be setting your sights higher. Have him as an option, by all means. Have him as part of the group. but. Again, starting. And Lautaro, I would love to believe he is, but this season, when it should have been his season to really emerge as that player for them in Europe, post-Lukaku didn't really succeed in doing it. The fact that both of them did, you know, the, the fact that Inter didn't have a centre-forward that they could get the goals from when it really mattered against Liverpool, especially at home, it's it's a problem. So for me, the I suppose for me, really, the, the, the sort of the most urgent fixes, honestly, are both ends of the pitch. I think they need a better goalkeeper and they need better strikers. And then maybe Dumfries at right wing back as well as the other one. But I think, yeah, for me, unfortunately, doesn't mean they can't be part of the group. Doesn't mean they can't be part of the, the pitch going forward. But to answer the question of starting 11, seriously compete in Europe. So that means trying to win things. For me, neither of, of Martinez or Jekko right now is, is where they need to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would definitely want to be, have them as part of the group. I totally agree with that. But again, like what was Lautaro Martinez's contribution in the group stage of the Champions League, you know, um, or even last year? I, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I, I wouldn't even have Lukaku as being the guy. Like, I think he was tremendous, but I didn't think he was that great in the Champions League either, you know. For Chelsea or for Inter, like he was, you know, great against what Borussia Mönchengladbach, but... Not in the matches that you felt like you really needed a guy to come through for you. Not in the Europa League final, you know. Um, so I'm very picky about forwards. I don't think there are that many even in Europe that are great, but somehow Liverpool keeps finding them. So I don't know. Maybe there are, or maybe it is about your tactics. But Lautaro Martinez, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we give him an out a lot of times, and I do think he's young, and so I don't want to expect too much from him as well. So. I would definitely keep him because I think the upside is, is that there's so much technical skill there and he can grow into something special. Jekko is too old. I agree with you. So he's not the guy that I'd want to rely on. And I certainly don't like their bench players either. So I'd get rid of all of them too. Okay, Mina, we talked way too long on that question as we knew we would. Um, let's get into the second question from Jen Carlo in Bristol. Mina, do you think Chiesa and Zaniolo can play together at Juventus without running into the same space like Lampard and Gerrard for England used to do? What do you think? I feel like I need a cigarette after that first question. It's just so tired now. <laughs> you know, let's get a nap. Well, um, just taking up smoking today. <laughs> yes, I really am. I feel like I should start taking up alcohol too. I don't drink either. Um, right, okay. Um, it's funny, right? Because, you know, like one of the things that I love to hear Hernandez and and I love about Keza is that they are the types of people who are something like, give me the ball and I'll just figure it out. Yeah. But the things I hate about both of them is that they don't play with their head up. Yeah. And I just mm. feel like that's not conducive to overall brilliant team play. Right. Um, 
What I like about Zaniolo is I think he's really smart. I I like the way that he operates on the ball. I like that he fights a lot in the penalty area when you need a goal. He I do feel like he's good enough to to be like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. He, he's got a good mentality and so does Keza. So together, I feel like that would work sometimes. I don't know about the attitude is my issue with it all. Um, can they get into the wrong spaces? No, I think they're good enough to play together, honestly speaking. I feel like Keza probably needs a little bit more on the tactical learning bit. But I think overall, he's, he's a better player than Zaniolo in general. I would rather have Keza on my team. But I think Zaniolo is very good at facilitating others' brilliance as well. I think that he's worked so hard to make Tammy Abraham better and, and give him the support that he needs. And I think that he'd do well for anyone around him in that sense. So when you have a good coach who brings out like, you know, and gives you clear instructions on what to do, I think those two players, um, being Italian as well, so there's no language issues, if they actually decide to talk, and figure it out, then I, I do think that they can play together. But I'll be honest with you, I hope they don't, because if Keza's not going to go to Roma, and I don't think Zaniolo should go to Juventus just yet. Um, so I, I hope that that's not something we have to answer soon. What about you, Nikki? Well, the question is, yeah, just reading the question again quickly, the question is hedged at Juventus. So um, the assumption would be, I guess, Zaniolo coming to Juventus, which certainly, as scenarios go, is the more likely of the two. I can't see a world in which Kiaz is heading to Roma anytime soon. Zaniolo clearly does have some some stuff going on off the pitch and clearly has never quite seen eye to eye with Mourinho. And so I think it's possible that he could move on from Roma. And I think that Juventus, I can imagine a world in which they would make that opportunistic move for a talented young um, Italian footballer. They would not be the only ones looking for sure. I I have reservations about Zaniolo at the moment. Wait, with their yeah, finances? Yeah, come on, it's you. Mina Juventus they want like find 70 million yeah but they want 70 million for Zaniolo there's always there's always money somewhere in in the back of the Fiat <laughs> office I'm not saying I think it's likely but I think it's possible I don't see a problem with them running into the same spaces necessarily because where would they get played I mean if it's the way that Juventus have lined up this season the only way I can sort of imagine them on the pitch together, really, especially when now you've got Vlavic, is as the wide positions on the left and right. And so probably that would mean in my head, Chiesa, who's done a bit of both, ending up on the left-hand side. I actually think I like Chiesa on the left-hand side because that forces him to come in onto his right foot. And he, he does quite well with those sorts of runs across the penalty area, I think, from the left. So in my sort of imagination of how they would fit into a team together they'd be on opposite sides of the pitch and it wouldn't be too much of a problem in fact you might even get some mileage out of saying to them we'll do deliberate side switches sometimes so you can come right and left and, and take turns on, on opposite flanks i don't see them to sort of use the the parallel that was being drawn by Giancarlo in the same way as gerard and lampard were starting in a central midfield position together and running into each other but i do think that the problem you run into with them is something that you alluded to, Mina, which is, in the end, the biggest weakness of both players, I think, is the tendency to put their head down and just run, right? They put their head down and go, I'm going to beat three men now and do it, which can be a strength. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a player who will just take it over and, and score the goal. Zaniolo is better at that. Do you think so? Do you think so? I, I've not been so convinced this season. Really? Because 
I was saying, because I was mentioning, because for me, Keyes and Teo, Teo Hernandez, I was referring to, was very, like, head down. I think Zaniolo can play with his head up. I think sometimes he gets frustrated, and I don't know if it works so well with I Here's the thing. I, I don't know my right from my left, but you prefer Keza on the on the left because I like him on the right. And my issue is that if Zaniolo is there, then he'd be playing in the Dybala issue. And then there is a crossover, right? Because I think that it doesn't yeah. work with sometimes with Keza and Dybala. It doesn't work. They don't... Even Dybala in this in this match um, the, against Cagliari, I felt like his positioning was getting in the way of Cuadrado as well. So I, I don't like it so much. But I do feel that if Zaniolo plays more as a trequartista or certainly a lot more through the middle, um, almost behind Vlaovic. And if you put Keza out wide and Morata on the other, it could be fun to watch. Yeah, look, it would be entertaining and it would be very different to what we've seen from Allegri's Juventus <laughs> this season. I mean, funnily enough, in some ways I say that and I immediately think to myself, isn't that the most Allegri pairing you can imagine? Because let's not actually have a tactical solution up front. Let's just have some talented footballers who will like getting on the ball and running yes. and see if one of them finds the answers to get the goal because I'll fix the back of the team and make sure we don't concede any. That does actually sound like quite an allegory thing to do, doesn't it? Now that I say it out loud. I guess if we answer the question, yeah, my feeling is that they would not get on each other's toes like Lampard and Gerard unless you lined them up in a way that allowed that to happen. But I'm not certain that they would give you a very balanced team either, is my feeling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, this one is from Anumitra Saha in India. And he asks, I'm a Real Madrid fan here. Hello and welcome to Serie A Chronicles. Um, love listening to your podcasts. With Ancelotti set to win the title in all, to win the title in all top five leagues. How do you see, God, I thought to myself, wait, has he? Um, and he has. How do you see the transformation of his style and tactics from his all-conquering Milan side to current Real Madrid side? Nikki, I can talk about Real Madrid, but you tell us about his all-conquering side uh, when he was at Milan. At Milan. I, I think Ancelotti actually had like a bit of a sort of tactical journey, to be honest, because when he first came into management, he was very much a disciple of Arrigo Sacchi, of course, who he played under and was part of that all-conquering side he played on in. And Saki's idea, which Mina, I think at this point, can barely hear the name of Saki without having a physical reaction <laughs> of frustration because his columns in Gazette de Sport are quite repetitive and sometimes stubbornly stuck on a particular model of football. But thank you. Saki's Milan were, they were 4-4-2 and they were very, very tight lines. The whole idea with Saki's team was from the front to the back, your team should be very, very compact. So, you know, like 20 yards between your defence and attack at all times, move up and down. That idea was was very sort of core to his team at the time. And I think Ancelotti started out with all of the same values. Again, started out playing 4-4-2, was so rigid, in fact, with his 4-4-2 that when he was at Parma, so before he got to Milan, he um, turned down a chance to sign Roberto Baggio because he didn't think he could fit him in. He was like, well, I haven't got a trequartista, I've got a 4-4-2, so this won't work. And so um, that's something he's talked about. In fact, it's one of his regrets in his career was, was that rigidity. Um, whereas at Milan, famously, he came up with his Christmas tree formation, which I think was the sort of step at which he, he moved into pragmatism, really, because it was in 2002, and I think Shevchenko was injured, and Milan had this summer where they signed a whole host of sort of attacking midfielders, basically. Mina, what's come in? 
I was going to come in and just say to you, because he also had problems with Gianfranco Zola and said that he regretted um, letting him go and the player obviously went on to Chelsea, but he didn't know how to fit Gianfranco Zola into his system as well. So I agree with you about the rigid play. Yeah, and then and then funnily enough, he gets to Milan in 2002 and they have this summer where Shevchenko is, is injured and then they sign they sign a wealth of, of players who could sort of play off the attack, players like Sadov. And I think he just looked at his squad and thought, well, I've got all these players who can play behind the attack. I've got a limited number of players who can play in the attack. I'm going to, to come up with something different. And we got the, the Christmas tree, which actually has gone through different iterations because I think of the Christmas tree as sort of four, three, two, one, but actually at times it was more like a four, four, one, one. And, and when exactly it becomes a Christmas tree, I think this is all a bit blurry because tactics are not as, as sort of clear cut as we imagine them to be. But that was essentially the shape or variations on it that he won the title with in the Champions League within 2002. And then 2007, I would say, was, yeah, almost the more of a, a 4-4-1-1 with Inzaghi as a lone striker. But that, that sort of broad idea was something that he really worked with a lot and, and built all of his ideas off. And I think was, in Italy at least, the big calling card for him was the Christmas tree. And in fact, he wrote up a book about it. And what was fun was he published that book in, gosh, it was a few years ago, maybe around 2013. I'm trying to remember, but I, I remember that the book was already out. And then in his sort of previous time at, at Madrid, there was then this sort of game where um, Gazetta were like pulling ideas literally straight out of his book and showing like, no, this is like this happening now. So even after he'd written this book about it, he's like, oh, now nah, here it is, applied theory. So I think he definitely took some of that with him to Madrid, but you can speak more eloquently to his current tactics, Mina. Oh, I just, I, I feel like with Ancelotti, it, it's been, you, you know what I love so much about Italian coaching and why I think it it's so much better than everything else is because they are pragmatists rather than philosophers. I think Eriko Saki is probably the last philosopher, maybe, that we can honestly talk about. Obviously, Zerbi is a philosopher as well, and, and there's others who have, like, Marco Giampaolo. Incidentally, two coaches I really dislike. But anyway, um, <laughs> this, this is going badly. Um, but what I do love is, is that, firstly, I just want to explain, because it is a pet peeve of mine when people think pragmatists are defensive. They're not. Pragmatists work all with what they have. So just like Nikki was saying, when Shevchenko wasn't there, the formation changed because you have to adapt to what the players are that you have. That is being pragmatic. So when I used to talk about Hadim in Monaco, for example, he had a very defensive, defensively good players. He played defensive football. But when he started getting the likes of Carrasco and then Mbappe and, and a wonderful and tremendous midfield, that's when he started playing very attacking football and knocked Manchester City out of the Champions League. He's a pragmatist. He works with what he has. If he has good players, he'll play this way. But to me, Carlo Ancelotti really is the quintessential pragmatist. He's brilliant at working with what he has and giving faith and confidence to those players. Whereas sometimes when you compare him to Zidane at Real Madrid, Zidane is maybe just a tad more defensive-minded. Also a pragmatist, but just a lot more in keeping with the balance of the overall team. Whereas Ancelotti is happy to take risks if he thinks it's what brings out the talent in his squad. So obviously the guy won the decima. He was the, the man who perfectly found a way of incorporating Angel Di Maria. He is always, what I love so much about Ancelotti is he's always found the perfect place in his game for the for players. Uh, like he did with Andrea Pirlo, obviously changing his position and making him a director in the midfield rather than attacking midfielder. And then 
when you look at the fact that he played Angel Di Maria in midfield, he was man of the match in the Champions League final. He was so important to what Real Madrid were. And you remember Ancelotti at the time was happy to let Ozil go because of what he felt that he had with Di Maria. Um, and I feel like he is very good at, at utilizing all of that, whether it's physicality in midfield, whether it's 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 not. Then he trans transformed the team, obviously, in his last season where there was a lot of problems with injuries. But he didn't really have a defensive midfielder. And so he relied a lot and for many games went unbeaten and actually played with basically three number 10s in midfield. Yeah, Tony Cruz, James Rodriguez, Luka Modric. And it was astonishing to watch. Like, can you just imagine Napoli with playing with just like all these really creative midfielders in the middle and somehow still keeping their defensive strength, which is a lot easier to do when you have one-on-one players like uh, Sergio Ramos at the back, which is so important, which is why for Atalanta, it was really important for them to have Romero at the back. If you do want to play with a lot of creativity in your midfield, it's so important that you have players that are fine playing on their own and exposed and there's not many that are like I wouldn't be happy with Bonucci doing that on the back at the back I feel like this is what irritates me so much about Manchester City because they've never scouted a player that's very good at that they love to go for those that play with the ball but that's not what you need in those moments but Ancelotti could take the risks because of what he had at the centre-back position and so played with three three number 10s effectively and that was an astonishingly stunning Real Madrid side to watch. And it was such a shame when Luka Modric got injured because that's when the season fell apart. And unfortunately for him, he got sacked because he didn't win the big awards um, and the big trophies. But um, he's come back now. It's an entirely different team. And if you ever wondered what made Ancelotti so brilliant, it's the simple piece of advice that he gave to Vinicius Jr. And it's incidentally something that reminds me a lot of what happened between him and Verratti at PSG. One thing that really irritated Ancelotti was that Verratti kept hold of the ball for too long and took too many risks with it. And Ancelotti used to sit there and say to him, like, let go or do this or be a little bit more responsible or look for your teammates in this way or whatever it is. And he just didn't really know how to impact Verratti as much as he wanted to. Vinicius Jr. sometimes takes too long on the ball and he doesn't have a lot of confidence and his finishing has been a little bit wayward. But what he said to him is, is keep the ball for three or four touches. If you can't find a pass, you know, if you can't find the shot, then just give it away, like quick releases, because we need the game to keep moving. Incidentally, that's given him so much confidence right now. And when you've got Karim Benzema next to you, who's constantly talking, it's really raised his game this season because now he knows how long to hold on to the ball for, when to do and manage a quick release. And and having that forward line that understands each other and plays with the swifter touch has become so important to them defeating sides like PSG and obviously now even Chelsea. So I think what Ancelotti does so well is give players their confidence, put them in a tactical setup that brings out the best. He knows that right now this team isn't very quick. He's got midfielders that are very intelligent on the ball, but perhaps not excellent at managing huge runs off the ball. But Vinicius Jr. is. He's the perfect out ball. He's so good at running fast. So what he does is adapted the game to sometimes play quite tight and compact, but not with a high line. But at times, if the opponent requires Real Madrid to play with a high line, they will and they are capable. But they adapt to whatever the opponent is and however they think they can get the most out of it. 
But what I do like about this side is that it doesn't care about possession. It's very Italian in the sense that it's pragmatic. It changes and adapts to whatever the situation is. And it's really brought out the best in the team, which is that, yeah, maybe we're not going to be the fastest runners. Maybe we're a little bit old in midfield, but we know how to use our head. And we know that Vinicius Junior can give us an out ball. We know how he works so well with Benzema. And I think that that's, if you ever needed to know about Ancelotti, or if ever I could explain him to you, is that he is literally the most perfect pragmatist. And I think that is the superpower of all Italian coaches, is that ability to adapt to the opponent and to the strengths of your team. And that is always how I judge a coach, which is why I'm so in love with Stefano Pioli as well. The superpower of all Italian coaches, she said, including Roberto De Zerbi. (laughs) yeah he wishes (laughs) him and his philosophies (laughs) but poor guy he's had a a lot a lot going on this season so i'm going to be nice about him (laughs) it does that's all we've got time for guys um we hope you've enjoyed this chronicles q and a get your questions into us on twitter for next week's q and a at city pod with the hashtag chronicles q and a or via our website and studyhackchronicles.com. Do check out that website and click the Chronicles Tifosi button to join our Patreon community where you'll get access to exclusive episodes and bonus content. Also, all new Chronicles Patreon fees for the month of April will be donated to the Omadit Children's Hospital in Kiev, um, which is the biggest children's hospital in Ukraine and which is doing amazing work treating Ukrainian children injured by fighting shrapnel and gunshot wounds, as well as continuing treatment for life-threatening illnesses that happen in life regardless of war. So please do read about the hospital via the link in our show notes. And if you would like to join us as a Patreon this month, do know that we will be contributing your fee to that good cause. You can also support the show with a one-time tip on the website. You can find Mina and I on Twitter at Mina Rizuki, at Nikki Vandini, and you can subscribe to the Celia Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Don't forget to leave a like and subscribe if you're on there. And uh, thanks very much, guys. We'll see you next week. What I really mean about my ex-boyfriends, I just realised this. I mentioned them a lot here. All of your boyfriends, past and present, I feel like have a tendency towards being very romantic. And it's very funny because like you are like, yes, I know. I don't know why I attract all these awful people. (laughs) And it's just like, why don't I ever attract the mean guy? (laughs) Why is it always these like, you know, like, let's fall in love. And you're like, oh, for goodness sake. Never mind. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.